This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated enterprise show. I'm your host, Norman Lau, and thank you for joining us once again in the conference room aboard the NX-01. And this week, as always, I'm joined by my fellow compatriots in the conference room, my brothers in the blue skivvies, Will Nguyen, Trek FM's content manager. Will, how you doing? I am good. I'm excited to talk about our favorite pigs in space, the Tellarites. <laughs> pigs in space. Bang. That's such a dated was, reference to anyone who's who watched the Muppet Show back in the seventies. But I watched it in reruns when I was growing up, so I love that stuff. Do you think the uh, pigs in space were inspired by our subject matter today, or was that just a purely coincidental kind of thing? In my head canon, they were. <laughs> no <I'm> kidding. <laughs> and to help us bring home the bacon, if you will. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> Tommy Kraft, the director and creator and writer and tailor of Star Trek Horizon. Tommy, how you doing? I'm swell, thank you. It's wonderful to be back and to be back with bacon. <laughs> Everyone loves bacon, right? Well, I guess vegetarians wouldn't, but I heard that vegetarians like the smell of bacon, not necessarily what bacon stands for. So, brought to you, <laughs> <If> you <laughs> Enterprise. So. Warp 5, brought to you by bacon. Yes, brought to you by Oscar Mayer. <laughs> there you go. This week, we'll be talking about the Tellarites, who are arguably one of the more interesting races in Star Trek for probably these following two reasons. Number one, one of the more prominent founding members of the Federation. And number two, they only really have a handful of episodes to prove this fact. And, Will, this is part of what you wrote. Do you agree that the Tellarites had that type of resonance because they're lesser known and so important, but we never really got a chance to see them. I'm just asking you this like prior to like what we're going to get into. So hold that thought. And so tonight we're going to be talking about what we know in canon about the Tellarites and what we can fill in the gaps wise of our knowledge, if you will. And I'd like to start this show off with Will's response because when I was crafting the show, I wanted to see what we really haven't come up with yet. And because Will is our content coordinator, he really had this great idea of digging into 
probably one of the more important races that we've never really talked about either here on this show or just in general on Enterprise because we never had a chance to. So, Will, why don't you start us off and tell us a little bit about why you chose Tellarites as the subject for this show and continue the thought that I completely interrupted you on in that earlier question. <laughs> no worries. Uh, I think the Tellarites are probably the most intriguing race because they're very much in the same boat as the Andorians, but you know we don't know about we don't know that much about them. Although with the Andorians, although they have a limited, uh, still have a limited set of episodes based upon them, we have Shran, who's an incredible uh, secondary character. Who through him we learn a lot about the Andorians in Enterprise. Uh, but with the Tellarites, outside of the Babel arc, which we're going to talk about in this episode. We really don't have uh, a character that we're going to see a lot of their culture and civilization through. We do have moments in which we find a lot about them, but you know they're like the Andorians in the sense that they're a prominent founding member of the Federation, and yet we don't know that much about them. And you know, compared to the Andorians, who we don't know that much about, you know, anyway, they're you know with the Tellarites even less so. So I think it's very intriguing because. You know, I mentioned in our notes that, you know, talking about Enterprise is very much filling in the gaps of what if. And the Tellarites are probably one of the most what if races of Star Trek in terms of filling in where they are in canon. Because if you look at the entirety of the Star Trek universe, they are referenced later on and seen briefly in other in other works. But we really don't know much about them, but they're referenced. So I think for us to to delve in, this is very much an exercise in what can we extrapolate, which is, you know, a fun part of being an Enterprise fan. Now, Tommy, before the show, we were talking about this a little bit, and you said that you weren't really all that familiar with the Tellarites from the standpoint of the history and the overall canon of Star Trek. And why do you think that that is? Is it because they just weren't really well-referenced or explained away at all with just the little bit that we saw in the original series? Yes, and the fact that uh, I... I really blame this on the writers. It's not a, I don't think it's a budget issue because we had plenty of other, in terms of the other four shows from the original series, we had a lot of strange alien races, a lot of out there makeup. And I think there were plenty of opportunities to show the Tellarites and the Andorians and they never did. And I think that did a disservice to the lore of Star Trek because there's a lot of great stories you could have told there in the 24th century with both the Andorians and the Tellarites, and it just never happened. And so I'm glad they went back to that for Enterprise, but I never, but that's why when I came to Enterprise, I wasn't really familiar with the Tellarites or the Andorians. I'd, of course, heard of them, but only really peripherally. So I didn't really have any sort of history to, to draw from with that. And unfortunately, it makes for um, not good prequel material, in my opinion, because there's not much you can build up to. There, it's just a total blank slate. And I, in any case, I think Enterprise did a great job. I just wish that in the other incarnations, they had talked more about the Tellarites. I have two quick points to that. That actually brings up a really good, good point in terms of, for me, I'm a big Deep Space Nine fan, so watching the Dominion War... I was saying, where are the Andorians? Wouldn't they be the perfect Starfleet member race to fight against the Jem'Hadar or, you know, to lead a squadron defiant class ships because they're so warrior-like and Tellarites leading that? But all you see is humans, right? So that's a really good point. 
uh, Tommy. But I think second point, just to play devil's advocate, is do you think it's, you know, you said you, you bring up a good point in terms of it might not be a budgetary issue because they had other alien races there. But maybe it's not necessarily a budgetary issue, but a technical issue in terms of making the Andorians and Tellarites look believable. Because I know the Andorians, there's big question in terms of how can you make the antenna realistic until they figure out a way to, to make it move. And with the Tellarites, obviously, the Enterprise, they look completely different than what we saw them in Journey to Babel. So I don't know if even by, let's say, 1980, the mid-1980s when Next Generation came out, could they have done the Tellarites in a way that you know wasn't hokey, and that's why they kind of backed away from it? I don't know. I think they certainly could. I mean, of course you're talking more about a feature budget here, but you think like 1990, 1991, when we had the first Ninja Turtles movie, and the for what they did at the time with the incredible uh, costume they had there with the remote-controlled headpieces and the whole the whole body outfits and of course like i said that's a feature so i think technically uh this stuff was feasible it might not have been for a tv budget i think it would have been harder for the andorians you're right with the moving antenna but with the tellarites i feel like they're not that much more complex than say oh i mean it's a little bit more complex than the klingon but not that much. It's full face instead of just forehead. But even Klingons have a lot. They have stuff going on with their nose. They have all this facial hair a lot of the times. Um, and so I think at least by DS9, like you said, uh, with the Andorians, it would have been cool to have them there. But it would have been really cool to have the Tellarites there. As a founding member of the Federation, what would uh, the species have had to said or had? What would they have to say about the Dominion War? I don't know. It would have been interesting. Well, let's dial this back for our listeners and give them a point of reference to where the Tellarites came from, which is weird because they actually came before Enterprise, and Enterprise technically, timeline-wise, came before the original series. But the Tellarites were first seen in the original series classic episode, Journey to Babel. And this episode is notable for so many reasons. It's the first ever Star Trek episode to feature a variety, a multitude of alien races because it was the Enterprise hosting delegations from different worlds, specifically from the Federation, to a peace conference. And then we see the Tellarite ambassador, Ambassador Gav, and we get to see other delegates. And, of course, we got to see the very famous now use of the Vulcan hand salute when Spock saluted his father, Ambassador Sarek, of Vulcan. And the interesting thing about this episode also is that you get to see a snippet of Tellarite culture. You get to see a snippet of Andorian physiology, the antennae, which were a telltale sign of the Andorians, the blue skin. And I guess in 1966 or 1967, when you saw this type of prosthesis work, it wasn't really all that too terribly noticeable because it's probably better than anything that you've seen on screen at the time. With the exception of the Twilight episode, which was amazing when you had the, um, the Eye of the Beholder, where you actually saw what I thought could have looked like a Tellarite, the quote-unquote, the, the pig-nose-looking uh, mis, uh, misshapen features of the nurse and doctor at the end reveal. But I digress. So back in Journey to Babel, we are dealing with... The founding fathers of the Federation, 
2151, the Tellarites, the Vulcans, the humans, and the Andorians. So, Will, when you saw Journey to Babel, or where, when you referenced it again for this show, what stood out to you most about the Tellarites that you didn't really see before, or now that you've been so heavily steeped in Enterprise, did they do a good job in Enterprise projecting what we know of the Tellarites from Journey to Babel? Yeah, I think I think when you when you set up the the parameters in describing how Journey to Babel is actually was the first instance of the Tellarites, but in chronological terms, Enterprise is the first instance of, of Tellarites and kind of reconciling the real world and the in universe perspectives. I think it I think you're gonna have to be able to juggle between those perspectives that make any type of sense. Uh, of of seeing them in Journey to Babel. So I actually saw this episode today, actually, right before uh, recording. And obviously, you know, with Star Trek and when they introduced many alien races, they go through many iterations. So when the Vulcans were, inter- were first introduced, the Klingons, the Romulans, they're different in their first incarnations than what they became to be. And the Tellarites very much are in the same mold, although I think it's more pronounced because there are so few uh, references to them and there's just a huge gap of time between Enterprise chronologically in the real world and then what TOS was when it was first made. So when you when you see Ambassador Gav, you know, you see the argumentative nature of them. I think that's the one defining feature that is carried on uh, in Enterprise. But clearly the way they talk, the way Ambassador Gav talks, it's, you know, it's very broken, it's very wooden, it's very almost kind of robotic in a sense and it doesn't seem as lived in or doesn't seem as you know a fully fleshed out three-dimensional character that the Tellarites were in Enterprise I think that was jarring in terms of just seeing the cadence of how they were speaking and obviously you know I'm uh, the giant elephant in the room is you're working with 1960s prosthetics so the Tellarites look incredibly different than the Tellarites of Enterprise they have the hooves they have they're, they're really pink they have clearly it's like a latex mass that's over it so you know obviously there's that jarring visual distinction so i think in terms of enterprise they did the they did the best that they could taking what they uh they can from the original series interpretation of tellarites but they really updated and i think they updated it really well in enterprise they made it really believable but still recognizably tellarite so i think enterprise just did a bang up job of updating the Tellarites to something that's just really believable and really just stands out in in high definition. How about you, Tommy? When you saw the Tellarites of the Journey to Babel episode, did they just kind of strike you as, wow, do you really think that you could have done a better job with the makeup? Or because you know that it's the late 1960s, this is a budget-blowing type of prosthesis that pretty much was the standard of the time, the higher standard, and it just caused certain technical flaws where you weren't really able to get any kind of true emotional content out of that character, out of Ambassador Gav? Um, I'm fairly indifferent to it, in much the same way that I'm fairly indifferent to the black and white people. You know, it's 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 kind of it's kind of corny i guess and it's it's 19 but it's 1960s they didn't have you know squat for budget so i let them go you know i pardon them so they have the tommy craft pardon didn't really bother me that much 
And um, I, I, I like the way Enterprise portrayed them. I think it was a great example of how you can update something and not have it be weird. And, you know, just as a tangential thing, I think this is a great reason why we should, if we, in an official Star Trek, if we ever show TOS Enterprise, we should update it. Ooh. That's a, it's very controversial. Okay. Wow. But it's that's clear. A, it's a bold position, Tommy. I know. I know it is. And But I think it, it's clear, though, that if you do it well, it is okay to update something for a modern audience. And um, I think Enterprise did that well. I like their makeup in Enterprise. I like the way they were portrayed. So to sidebar what you're saying a little bit here, I'm not sure if a lot of people know this, but in Blade Runner, the final director's cut, which uh, Ridley Scott had a chance to update probably one of the most signature scenes. And when I say signature, it is because the stunt double that doubled Joanna Cassidy's character was so blatantly obvious when she was running through panes of glass as Deckard, Harrison Ford's character, was gunning her down. They didn't have a chance to make that correction in post. And because of the technology today, they were able to basically rotoscope Joanna Cassidy's face into that shot. Actually, I think it was her whole body into that shot, plus a couple of other updates to create and finish and realize that as a whole scene. Do you think that it's possible to seamlessly integrate something like that, something like an updated Tellarite prosthetic on an actor in that same way so that it can bring about a more dimensional and realistic approach to that scene? Do you think it would do anything for that scene or give those scenes in Journey to Babel any more credence than they have? Does it change the storytelling? Does it update it or would it upset the fans in some way? I think it's totally doable, totally possible. I think it would be really jarring, though, because the difference with the Blade Runner case is it's more of a continuity error that you're correcting. Whereas in the TOS case, you're going back and you're making something that looks old look new. But they're doing that with the ships. I would say the difference between TOS Tellarites and Enterprise Tellarites, there's a huge difference between in that and then updating the Enterprise shots, which are, you know, you right. see it briefly, but, you know, TOS was never heavy on, like, the ships and, you know, extended scenes and extended battles. There's always quick shots of, you know, the Enterprise and, and, and surrounding space. Like, I feel like that's a whole different ball game. Now, I, w- I would argue that their updates to the CGI, to the, to the exterior shots of the Enterprise don't look that new. You can tell that they've been updated, but it's not like they updated it in a way where it was 1960s and now it looks like the J.J. Enterprise. It still very much feels like an updated 1960s, whereas if you altered the Tellarite makeup to look like it does in Enterprise, I feel like you would be taking uh, early 2000s or even current time, 2015, and suddenly transplanting it into the 1960s, and it would just feel kind of awkward to me. And also on a budgetary note, I think it would be a lot more time-consuming to do that because there's a lot of motion tracking involved and uh, and it's just a totally different workflow. You know, the interesting thing is that at the end of Star Trek, the original series, this was the one and only time that we actually saw this race 
being so prominent that it is historically for the Federation. And throughout the course of other incarnations, series, and the movies that reflect the original series storyline, we only saw a smattering, and when I say smattering of snippets here, snippets there, of both the Andorians and the Tellarites. And I still I still have a hard time kind of reconciling that in a way as a fan because you can short shrift certain things, but when you're dealing with the history of your own legend, legacy, the history of the Federation and rounding that out in terms of world building, don't you think that would, they would have taken some other opportunities to be able to at least give us more content somewhere along the line? Well, I, I think, mean, how do you guys feel about that? I think this is an interesting point because it really showcases the different eras that Star Trek has crossed in its production. Where from, and this is something I've alluded to before, in the 1960s, you really did not have much forethought into your stories or your characters or your overall world building. It was pretty much a, uh, every episode was a reset. And we're starting to come out of this in the 1980s and 1990s when Next Gen and the other shows are on. But this idea of world building, I think, is not something that's really inherent or important during the time most of the Star Trek shows were made. Either it was not there or it was just starting to come into into being. Whereas a lot of shows today, they're very careful in in how they build the mythology of their universe, whatever that may be. And so I think it's just a sign of the times that Star Trek was made in that this idea of the longstanding canon, the history of it, was not what was most important to telling your every week story. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely the case here and you know star trek is you know it's imposing in a lot of ways for fans or new or not fans uh newcomers because there's it's it's survived for so long and it's and it's had so many different iterations but technically it's still one it's still one timeline even with the deviation with the new movies it's still technically all connected in some way they're all connected in that way and you know you just have you know, you have to balance, like we talked about the, at the top of the show, with you know the real world and the in-universe perspectives. And I feel like th- there's a, a point in which you have to just say, this is just because the show was completely different, a different times, uh, different time frame, different mindset, different production values, everything. And you know, you you try to retcon as much as possible, but you know, I, I think just because they were almost, you know, like Tommy said, writing it as they go, and then there was also. Uh, when Gene launched Next Generation, he, there was this, there was a conscious decision to step away from anything TOS for a very long time, and until you know Sarek, that episode came in and started introducing elements of TOS. But for a very long time, they just did not want to do anything associated with TOS. So you know there was also a conscious decision not to allude to Andor, you know Andor or Teller or or Kirk or, or Spock in, in very overt ways. Although when you take a look back at the totality of all the works years later you would you kind of think like oh there are huge gaps when there should have been some continuity that have been consistent throughout all the shows so before i change tone to get back to enterprise in 2151 we do have a new star trek jj abrams era non-prime universe era movie that's going to be coming up with simon pegg 
Do you think that this would be an opportunity to showcase the Andorians and the Tellarites in this story? Does does that make any sense now for a new fan watching these updated TOS storylines? Does it make any sense to the history of what's being shown now in this reimagining of Star Trek? Because, again, it's not like these are just alien races that are thrown out there for throwing out alien races to put on screen. These are the pillars of the Federation, and we'll get back to that in a second when we talk about the Babel arc from Enterprise. Does this make sense for the new audience or no? I would personally love to see an updated take on the Andorians and the Tellarites in in a big-budgeted feature film. I think that could be really cool because they'd have a lot of opportunities to do things with these characters and these designs they just couldn't do 10, 15, 20 years ago and let alone on a TV budget. However, I think due to the quite large reaction from the fans that they should have gone in a different direction with Into Darkness, um, I don't expect them to really use much of Star Trek canon in the next movie. I would love to see it. I I think it would be cool, but it just isn't relevant to your average fan to have Andorians or Tellarites. I I think to the extent that they can be included as as, you know, the bridge crew or you see them uh on a ship or at Starfleet headquarters, I think that's probably going to be the best possible venue for them to show up much like gala was you know an orion uh female that was seen that it was uh, you know longtime fans recognized her but new fans are just like oh it's a green-skinned alien i think in the same way here you know longtime fans would recognize oh that's clearly an andorian or that's you know a tellarite but i think i think tommy brings up a good point in terms of i don't think they're going to be doing anything rehashing during the babel or that type of, of storyline and i think you know Part of me is also glad that they're probably not going to do that. They want to tell new stories. But insofar as including them in the visual aesthetic and having them there, I don't see why not. Because if they've certainly yeah, included new types of aliens in the past two movies. So why not throw in those types of aliens who would be new pretty much to, to new fans and would probably not know the difference. But for older fans, they would. So I think that's a very easy win-win scenario. For they them. could always do it in a way they did with the Cations where Kirk was in bed with two of them. Yes, you know, it was just like a throwaway. <laughs> That's thing. right. That's right. <laughs> totally forgot about on that. that shirt. Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen female Tellarites. I'm not sure where. It's a fair point. We have not where we, we can go in that them. direction, and they could be like ridiculously aesthetically pleasing, or aesthetically it could pleasing. just be, you know, <laughs> it could be Gavin a giant moo moo. But we're not. <laughs> I'm not sure if we're going to go and speculate to that degree, but. Returning back to returning back to Enterprise and returning back to 2151, the Tellarites are, are reintroduced, much like the Andorians were reintroduced in the Andorian incident in Season 1. In Season 2, we have the, the reintroduction, if you will, to the Tellarite race in the episode Bounty. And, Will, as you said in the notes, this is, this is the first time where we've seen a fully realized three-dimensional ground-in-reality type of makeup that brings these Tellarites into more of a modern aesthetic. This was done by the brilliant Michael Westmore. And tell us a little bit about this episode, and do you think that it made a 
a strong enough impression for fans, either returning fans from the original series who enjoy this subject matter from this timeline and for new fans, did it make a strong enough impression for the Tellarites to become relevant again in this timeline prior to the Coalition of Planets? I think that's a, I think that's a tough question because it, this episode, Bounty, comes right before the huge Zindi arc. So I feel like that's going to suck up a lot of the air and attention for the fandom at that time. And originally, reading Memory Alpha, the 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 episode was not going to have a Tellarite as a bounty hunter. It was just going to be another uh, random alien or another alien race. But they decided to go and say, you know what? Why don't we make a Tellarite? Why don't we update that to see if we could do it and see if we can kind of throw that as a continuity bone to the fans. And barring the very start of the episode where Archer mentions to Trip that, you know, the Vulcans have encountered the Tellarites and that they're argumentative by nature and that's their way. Outside of that reference to the Tellarites, everything else beyond that is nothing that's specific to them as a race or specific to them as a society. Basically, you know, what you see from the from the bounty hunter is you see him as a fully fleshed out character in a way that you don't see... Uh, the ambassador Gav in, in Journey of Babel, or you don't see them in any other iteration. So you you relate to the character, but you don't relate to the character in the sense that he is distinctly Tellarite. You just relate to the character as, oh, he is an alien that you know is a bounty hunter, but that, that has a surprising amount of, of empathy that you can relate to this character. He was almost strangely proper in a way. That's right. He had, he, there was a, a certain ethical moral code as a bounty hunter that he had which was it was strange but you're like that that's something that you kind of come to know of as a well-traveled roguish type of character yeah he had a sense of nobility right he had a sense of you know he was a bounty hunter but he wasn't a bounty hunter that was needlessly cruel or capricious that he had a set of morals and 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 a code and he he was doing what he had to do in order to get his ship back but you know he wasn't evil per se. So in that sense, that it made Tellarites nominally more relatable to us as the audience. But there was nothing there for the audience to say, "Oh man, that's something I'm going to take forward in terms of how I view Tellarites in the future." I think just to piggyback, ah, I'll say that again, piggyback. Well done. Well <laughs> Thank done. you. Uh, off that, it's, it was just a it was a throwaway character in terms of the alien race. It was like your average Vulcan Klingon or whatever. Um, and but so why then choose a Tellarite? Why not choose an Andorian or any a, a myriad? They could have just thrown some no name one off species if you wanted to. Why a Tellarite? You think? Well, I think as as Will said, it was like to I think it was Will uh, to to throw the continuity bone to the audience. And uh, it was just like one of those things where as as a fan, you say, oh, cool, that's a Tellarite. But other than that, I, I don't think there was any point for him to be a Tellarite. And I actually don't think he should have been. Um, as our first introduction to Tellarites since TOS, seeing them on screen and, and given their importance in the history of the Federation, I, I think he should have been some other race. And that's what I was trying to get to with this introduction. Now, again, Bounty was a really cool episode. You had this really cool Bounty Hunter character. A lot of people like Bounty Hunters as characters. A lot of Star Wars fans do. I know that. But this doesn't give us any real purchase 
for understanding this new introduction to the Telluroids because I think there are a majority of fans when they were watching Enterprise that were my age, that were in their late 20s, early 30s at the time, and we were all original series fans, and we were really excited that we were going back before Kirk, before Spock, before McCoy, as the marketing junket said, and digging into the history of the original series and the history of the first captain and the first Warp 5 capable ship. And then you see a Tellarite, and you're like, wow, I remember these guys from Journey to Babel. That's not what I remember of a Tellarite. Even so, I only saw that uh, that little snippet of him in there. I remembered that they were at least somewhat regal. Obviously, they were ambassadorial because that was the whole point of Journey to Babel. But these were founding members of the Coalition of Planets, and this is how we're going to introduce them back to the fans that are trying to support this show on a weekly basis. It's not something that I would come back to because this character really doesn't do anything for me in terms of furthering the world building of the Tellarites into what Archer is trying to do out there in space. So I agree, Tommy. I think this was probably a little bit more detrimental as a choice than, say, an Orion, because Orions were notorious pirates. Why not put them at the helm of being a bounty hunter in that area of space? It makes perfect sense. Well, and think about how they reintroduced the Orions in Enterprise and how they reintroduced the the Andorians. They both had a very specific story centered around them. It wasn't like there was just some random episode where they said, okay, well, let's have an... And I think it's more important than the Orions because we have, we've seen them uh, throughout other Star Trek. and um, But with the Andorians, if the first time we'd seen them as just some random Andorian pilot, it would not have been nearly as effective as that opening scene in the Andorian incident when Shran and his, and his people bust down the door of Pajem. And you see those guys, and you're like, oh, those are Andorians. That's cool. Right. But right. No, totally. It, it, it just, I wish they could have handled the Tellarites in that way. Well, I mean, at least we get a little bit of a second chance, if you will, after the Zindi arc, because probably one of the most important story arcs, if not, in my opinion, the most important story arc of season four has to do with the importance of the Tellarites, and that's through the Babel arc. You have Babel, and Babel 1, which starts off this entire journey of how the Federation, the kernel, the dream of the Federation is born. And so, Will, why don't you walk us through what happened in those three episodes and explain to us that second chance, that second win the Tellarites received as they were shown their due promise of being this important race to the Federation, to the future Federation. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. This this episode is such a critical building block. And you could just tell that from this arc more stories are gonna come if Enterprise would survive. So basically the Babel arc is in a way a backdoor prequel in a way or a backdoor reference to Journey to Babel, right? Even in the name, right? So they're here, they're having negotiations about a trade dispute and they have the humans and Archer, you know, coming in as that reluctant diplomat to, to mediate between these two warring sides and previously we had seen the andorians and vulcans at odds and humans mediating but now you're seeing the humans doing this again but with andor and teller and you know it, it harkens back to that uh 
disagreement or the the friction between Sarek and 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 Gav. But now you have this in a completely different scenario where the Andorians are accusing the Tellarites of attacking and destroying their own ship, you know, Sharan's uh, Kumari, and you just set up a, 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 an instance in which you know diplomacy has to play a big role, but you know that on each side you have such hotheads, right? Because the Andorians are disagreeable in their own way, and so are the Tellarites disagreeable in their own way, right? And they're literally at each other's throats. You know, you can count them on both hands, like the times they're literally at each other's throats, right? Between Grawl and Tran. And I think it's a really good depiction of, of although the... Tellarites aren't the sole uh, focus of of, the, of these episodes. They're pretty crucial linchpin, lynch point in terms of the actions of of one Tellarite almost brings it uh, to a boil, brings almost destroys the entire negotiation. Right. So Narg, who is uh, Grawl's uh, aide, you know, kills Talus, Shran's um, beloved. So you know, he's literally forcing everything to to come to a head and. You know, you have Grawl, obviously, at the end, after Archer fights on behalf of, of, of Narg and wins and, and beats Ran, you have an instance in which a Tellarite can still overcome the prejudice, still overcome the tension that has arisen. And, you know, you can kind of see the formation of, of the Federation there, that not every action of an individual is going to define a race, that you can you need to work beyond those those differences and it was so important because this is the first time Tellarites actually had anything important to do and it was the first time that it was relevant to what they were as a species right you know you could just tell from the very few scenes uh, that Shran was talking about the the Tellarites that he he has such disdain for them on the on the same levels as the Vulcans if not more and you're just they're beginning to allude to the fact that the Tellarites are a significant race Right, they're going to be a significant building block to the formation of the Federation. Well, let me put it to you this way then. With the introduction of the Tellarites in this arc, do you feel that they were able to focus on them in such a way where they didn't feel like just a catalyst for Shran to be more important as a character? Because when I was watching these three episodes in particular... This is season four, and Manny Cotto now is the showrunner, and he knows that he has to start introducing very specific, telltale, and iconic figures, characters, races from the original series to start bringing in viewers because season four is, right now, it's pretty, these are pretty rough waters, some pretty um, turbulent seas for the series in total. And because the Tellarites were in such a prominent episode of the original series, and because you have the ability to be able to do all of these incredible prosthetics, I never really felt that they were front and center as one of these species that are being focused on, like the Vulcans, because the Vulcans had a myriad of very specialized episodes, not just through T'Pol's character, but other Vulcans in general, like the Vulcan High Command, like Velos and his complete ridiculousness when it comes to um, approaching how the Vulcans were uh, kind of retconned in a way of being a little bit more sinister than, than we know them to be. So do you think that when the, inter- when the Tellarites were introduced here, 
we were trying to find an opportunity just to fit them in or try to actually expound on their storyline in total for a possible season five? Uh, I think it was done well. And I think it was done as well as you could for the given that they really only had those three episodes to showcase the Tellarites. The thing with the Vulcans and the Andorians is they were focused on at least some point during all four seasons. So you had a lot more time to build to develop the mythology of the Enterprise era. And the Tellarites, you had those three episodes and that was it. And I thought it was done pretty well. I didn't feel like to me they were brought in to simply service the Andorians or to service Shran. Um, their arc was handled well. And it lent itself well to what Archer was doing with the diplomacy. And it developed his character a lot. The things that he had to do to make that work. And I never really felt like the Tellarites were window dressing or anything like that. I thought they were handled well. I think the only problem is they just weren't handled until that point. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think... I just want to take this opportunity to just say how much I love that opening to, to Babel 1 where Hoshi and Archer are just going at it, right? They're just insulting each other. And for a second there, I was like, are they are they being serious? I remember watching this episode for the first time. I just didn't know what was going on. I still think it's such an effective way to introduce, you know, the very familiar cultural, the one familiar cultural aspect of the Tellerites that they're disagreeable for the sake of being disagreeable. But the way Archer... And, and Hoshi were having that conversation, I think was just a really great and brilliant piece of just of writing that sets the stage for the for the introduction uh, when they come aboard the ship. So I think I think this is I think Tommy hit the nail on the head. You know, I think these episodes really did the Tellarites justice. It's just that it took them, you know, three and a half seasons and then that was it. Right. There was and the show was 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 ended after season four. So you don't really see much of them beyond that. And I have to say that first conversation that Archer has with when the Tellarites uh, come aboard is freaking hilarious. Uh, when, oh, yeah. when, he, when he says, I didn't expect you to be so ugly or something like that. And then they basically go on to insult each other for the rest of the conversation. Yeah, it, the line just, was, uh, uh, I didn't expect your ship to be so small and unimpressive. And Archer's like, you know, I was thinking the same thing about you. It's so that was you. a different one because that was later in the conversation. Oh, was it later that was on? After oh, okay. the, yeah, that was because when he uh, first boarded, it was it was such a great bit of, of filmmaking because it cut right to that. He boards and Archer, it's the first thing Archer says, I didn't expect you to be so ugly. I think it was something that's complimenting or, you know, deriding his looks. Right. Uh, right and then they continue to banter throughout the scene. And it was a great fun way to introduce the Tellarites. There's always an opportunity to fit more of Hoshi's specific skill set in these episodes. And I always thought it would have been really interesting to improve the world building and the cultural texture of a race like the Tellarites, which we don't know a lot of, still haven't really been exposed a lot of to their language, their foods. Their, I mean... You get, obviously, brief snippets of that during certain conversations, but I really would have liked to have seen that opening, that cold opening between Hoshi and Archer done in the Tellarite language. Mm. And then done in such a way where Archer couldn't even really get it right. So when he's insulting the ambassador, he's doing it in such a poor manner where he's just butchering words and this ambassador's like, I'm not sure if to be offended or if I like you. 
because you're trying obviously really hard to do something here and I'm not sure what it is. So let's just see how this thing evolves as the time goes by. And then Archer will like, oh gosh, I got that all wrong. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. But see, I think again, that's a great point, but that's a, that's that's the catch, right? I mean, outside of, of Vulcans and, and Klingons, right? Where they there are instances where they speak in their native tongue. Do we ever see any other race that, you know, we get to see aspects or snippets of their actual native tongue? Or is it just like, oh, we assume they can understand English and we can speak to them, right? I mean, I I don't know if I think that's just a, a trope of Trek is that they don't have the time to like, we're going to come up with this completely distinct language outside of, you know, the Vulcans need something, the Klingons need something because they're going to always be there. I want to just as, as an aside say that Star Trek actually does this better than pretty much any other science fiction property I've seen. Uh, I love Stargate. I really do. It was actually my first love. But, you know... I think your first love even... was Ninja Turtles, Tommy. Well, when it comes to uh, the, the whole sci-fi, oh, yeah. the spaceship shows... Splitting um, the fandom hairs. You have the turtles on one side. Well, see, the thing is, fiction. like, my, my real love would be turtles going through the Stargate to find the Enterprise. But I digress. Uh, this sounds like your the, next movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah the crossover. The funding. Yeah. But it's just the, the point. They, they never even addressed this on Stargate. The, the whole idea that everywhere they went, everybody spoke English. But it was actually addressed a number of times in Star Trek and in Enterprise, the whole idea of the universal translator. Right, right, right. There were true. times where the, where the UT stopped functioning and suddenly they couldn't understand each other. And, of course, there's a lot of open questions, especially in the technology of Enterprise. How exactly does the UT work? Because sometimes we see them wearing it uh, on their on their chest, like as an accessory, as, as we see in uh, Terra Prime and Demons. Yeah. Um, and so is it does it work like a speaker? I don't think that's the case because they always seem to act as though they perfectly in their head hear the language, hear their own language. But it, I mean, so that you can have a whole discussion about, is it some kind of neurological interface or whatever? But I think the whole idea of the alien language is actually handled pretty well. And especially when it comes to Star Trek, it's handled well in enterprise because there's often times where it doesn't work and Hoshi does have to, to use her skills. I just don't think it was quite enough, but compared to other Star Trek, I think it's handled pretty well. Oh, that that's, that's definitely a fair point. That's a fair point. I mean, I'd like take a look at it this way. It's it's almost as if you could use a little bit of the Tellarite language just to give a little bit more cultural flavor to this race that we just really again don't know that much of. And if Archer just automatically, as soon as the ambassador walks off the gangplank and he just throws him the most ridiculously well rehearsed, well practiced, polished insult of all time, and the Tellarite ambassador says something in English, just as witty and as retortful. Ooh, that's and good. And Archer's just completely, he says yeah, just completely taken aback. And then now you have the understanding that Archer and Hoshi and probably the Universal Translator have been utilized in such a way to do this. At the same time, this is being shared with all of these almost member races so that these talks can go a little bit more smoothly. And now you're just seeing this kind of, you know, back and forth and this evolution of communication, which is, you know, at the heart of all this, because everything in this arc goes awry because communication is just so poorly handled between 
the ambassadorial duties that Archer has. He doesn't know how to handle someone as volatile as the Tellarites, as emotionally unstable as the Andorians, and someone who, you know, and the Vulcans who aren't really kind of investing themselves right now because they want to see what's kind of going to play out. So I just like seeing little snippets of language here and there because it, A, it offsets the audience a little bit to like, what is this all about? And I want to see more. And then secondly, it's because it just gives a rounder characteristic to alien races and alien cultures. That's just, for me personally, I like seeing that. No, I agree. I think that's that's also a fair point too. And I feel like I've been playing devil's advocate at least you know a few times this episode. But you know, I I agree on all all the points in terms of I think Star Trek does a good good job and of handling those languages. And yeah, you know, the Tellarites, you know, of all the races for them to start developing at least a syntax or them start developing uh, an alien language that's in their native tongue, you know, and uh, the Tellarites, the a founding member of the Federation, should have been at the top of the list. So that makes a lot of sense to me. So between say Journey to Babel and the episodes that we saw the Tellarites in, in Enterprise, that kind of surmises about what? About 90% of what we've seen in terms of overall on-screen time of the Tellarites. But there were little bits and pieces here and there within the different series. So, Will, you were talking about the Tellarites and how they were referenced in Deep Space Nine. So can you explain a little bit more about that? And why do you think all the way in Deep Space Nine were the Tellarites interesting to at least Ron Moore and the writers to bring back as a reference? I think because, you know, Ira Bear and Ron Moore and and the entire writing crew there, I think they grew up on TOS and I think they were far enough removed from Gene Roddenberry and him wanting to to remove any TOS overt TOS references and any of the the new iterations of Trek and I think they just wanted to be able to if they can why not put it into a script you don't have to budget for it or 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 design something or do something sophisticated but to the extent that they can do something like that and add at least references that you know we acknowledge that this exists we acknowledge that the world is larger that what has happened before still exists in some way right so the the most prominent reference uh, in Deep Space Nine is in the episode Apocalypse Rising when uh, Klingon is, is is talking about a raid that he did on a Federation ship and how he killed the Tellarite helmsman and uh, you know I think you know they reference to to you know him you know it being a pig you know you know that he was he was detested by the the, the, the pig like look of of the Tellarite so it was clearly a reference that they knew wasn't just going to be a throwaway to the fans that fans have been longtime watchers would understand that this is not just them inserting this one reference to Tellarites that they knew what the Tellarites were and that yes in this world they do exist we just don't see them but they do exist and I just think because you know it came from a mentality of you know why not but you also saw them in um, the scenes in Voyage Home in the Federation Council Chambers when they're when they're trying Kirk and I think this was a big deal because this was probably the first time in on screen that you saw a large amount of aliens that weren't Vulcans or Klingons that they were really trying to expand it. And it was the first time, and I think still really the first the first and only time that we really saw the Federation Council and all the and all the races there. And you know, it, you know, Andorians are there. There's a Tellarite, you blink and you miss it. There's a, a Cation. So I think this was another instance in which they said, you know, 
we don't have to craft an elaborate backstory for them, but we'll just throw it in there and it'll allow the fans to, to, to know that, yes, we, we acknowledge the fact that there's a larger universe there and they exist. It's just that we don't talk about them very much, but we know that they're there. I think this speaks to probably my biggest issue with how Star Trek has been produced. And it's that there's this vast world and I feel like a lot of times the writers are afraid to use it. They're afraid to really dive into uh, a lot of the elements that are there and bring them front and center. And it's kind of like how we never once saw a Vulcan ship until Enterprise. And, you know, you would think that at least in the Dominion War, you would have seen Vulcan ships, but instead all you really see are a bunch of Galaxy class and Excelsior and and uh, Nebula class and what have you. And of course, Klingon and Romulan ships. Um, and the same with with the Tellarites. And I think Enterprise started to do this pretty well, especially when um, season two, we started to get some of this, but especially season four, I think they still missed some opportunities in Enterprise because it struck me as really odd when I heard that the writers they wanted to basically do a bunch of new stuff with enterprise. And it seems like you're missing a great opportunity as a prequel to go and dig into all of these elements you have from your vast universe. And then just to say, well, we're not going to use them. We're just going to do a bunch of new stuff. And I think of course, by the time we got into season four, they realized that that's, that that's not the best approach to take. And they started doing all this prequel element stuff and I think that's what they should have been doing from the beginning. And it's why, once we finally see the Tellarites, it's really cool. And, of course, they did do, obviously, prequel stuff at other points in the show, like with the Andorians. But this still doesn't change the fact that a lot of the stories are completely unrelated, essentially, to Star Trek canon. And I just wish that in Enterprise and in all the shows there were more stories that really tied to the mythology of the universe. Well, well, you actually wrote some really interesting notes about where we could have gone in season five. And Tommy, there's, there's one question I do want to ask you about horizon and, and how that could have related to the Tellarites. But one of the questions was, do the Tellarites still have their own military force after joining Starfleet? Now we know the Andorians have the Imperial guard and we've seen fleets of Andorian ships, especially specifically um, Shran's ship, the Kamari, I would have to assume that because they are a space-fearing race and because they are warp-capable, that we, they would have their own military in some fashion. I don't know. We could only speculate in our in our headcanon what it would look like. I'm thinking something very almost space-dwarfish because of the way that the Tellarite's physiology is. And their hand-to-hand combat is probably a little bit more brutal and a little bit more blunt because that's just the way that they are. You know, there's not a lot of gracefulness to this race. You know, they're very direct. They, I think they're probably the headbutting race is what I, I think that's the title of the episode. They're the headbutting race, you know, where they just, they like butting heads literally figuratively and spiritually because all they want to do is argue and they want to debate the point until it is, until it's ground to the finest powder because this is who they are. It's not because they are adversarial. It's because just culturally, I think this is just what they are as a people. They like they like being at odds. I think it's what makes them grow, or at least it challenges themselves in some way as a culture. So you have that. Then you have, how do they take that 
and insert themselves into this larger conglomeration of a interracial government or a multifaceted government because now you have to quote unquote play nicely with others. And yes, they started doing that in the Babel arc, but I think there is that understanding all of the different races that form the coalition of planets still stay somewhat secular, if you will, within their own race. They have their own military, but it's part of Starfleet. They have their own branch in the government, but it's still very their own. In a way that the United Nations is more of a melting pot, they're still very homogenized. So how do you think that we would have been able to see more of the Tellarites mixed in that way in seasons five, maybe six and seven? And Tommy, did you even think about using the Tellarites as a reference when you were doing Horizon? Well, first off, I just want to say that this goes, I think, to what I was saying, that we have like 28 seasons of Star Trek, if I'm correct, between all the shows. And realistically, we shouldn't be asking, we shouldn't have to be asking these questions about what is apparently supposed to be such an important race when you have 28 seasons of storytelling to answer these questions and you never do. Um, When it comes to Horizon, honestly, they never factored in even a little bit. Neither them, I wanted to include them, and I especially wanted to include the Andorians. But I was fairly certain that within the limitations of my budget, I was not going to be able to convincingly convey Andorian or Tellarite makeup. And so I just found it better to just essentially leave them out altogether. And I think that's unfortunate, but I also think it's better than, you know having these throwaway lines about, well, the, you know, the Tellarites and the Andorians are here, but we're just not going to show them. I always thought that that kind of stuff is a little bit weird. Um, so in regards to Horizon, no, they didn't really factor in at all. Uh, in terms of how they're structured going forward, I guess, in, in, in subsequent seasons, I think there's a lot to, to mine there narratively. I think uh, it's mentioned in the books, um, Rise of the Federation, which... Uh, are actually a great read, but I think that they bring up a really good point of how they begin to integrate the different crews, integrate the different technologies together. And I think obviously that's not um, going to be, you know, canon in the same way that uh, a televised show or movie is going to be. But I think you can surmise or extrapolate that because humanity is central to all of this in the sense that they're the ones that are least hated. Like everyone gets along with the humans. That's the, it's almost like they're the, the Kevin Bacon of, of the Alpha Quadrant, right? <laughs> that could also be the title of this show, right? Or another show. The Kevin Bacon of the Alpha Quadrant. Because, you know, what's the one thing that unites all of them? They like, they like humans, right? That the one thing that can get them to the table is humans. They, they're always the, the, the pass through. So in the same way. And uh, coincidentally, Kevin Bacon is a human, just saying. And bacon, just right? Human. Bacon, Tellarites, pigs, pork, uh, works on so many levels. <laughs> so many. <laughs> That's not even what I was saying, but it's a great point that you pointed that Six out. Six degrees of Tellarites. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, so I, I think the fact that, you know, humans are the ones that are least hated is I think that would make sense that they'll, you know, if they're going to choose a ship design to, to base a, a new United fleet on, they'll choose the one that they'll choose it based on the, the race that they disagree with the least, dislike the least, and they'll contribute different things to it. And I would imagine in my own in my own headcanon that, you know, the Tellarites have their own defense forces. You just don't see them. That, you know, they'll leave exploring and contacting to, to this neutral arbiter, Starfleet, and the humans can have those ships. But, you know, if they ever 
if 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 the alien invader ever comes to to Teller's borders, you're going to have the Tellerite fleet there. In the same way, that you're going to have the the Andorian fleet there, or have the Vulcan fleet. It's just that we only see one aspect of it in Star Trek. We see the exploratory arm or Starfleet's going out, and I think that's that's one way that I could reconcile it based off what we know from the cultural characteristics of of humans and Tellerites and Vulcans and Andorians. But it's it's an interesting question because. You know, it, 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 you know, going forward, we always see the same types of Starfleet designs. It's a saucer, nacelles, and we know those are humans based off Enterprise. Right? Enterprise has established that the saucer and the cells are unique design to Earth Starfleet. So why 300 years later are Starfleet ships still using predominantly an Earth design, right? So I think, you know, that raises interesting questions, which unfortunately, you know, we're going to we're going to have to only speculate on. But Personally speaking, I always thought that, you know, the Tellarites are never going to give up, you know, their own culture, their own technology or designs, and that they're just there, but we don't see it. Yeah, that's always the one thing about Star Trek that always is so interesting is the what happens to the different influences of the other races onto Starfleet, because you're right, everything has become Federation clean, if you will. Everything has become this one true source of all of the different types of designs when it either starship design or tricorder design or phaser design. Everything has to do with going back to that one race that kind of tied everything together. Now, again, we don't know technologically if the influences were there. We don't know if the Tellerates were able to streamline warp reactors or get more optimization out of dilithium crystals because we never got a chance to see that or the writers never had a chance to interject that into the series that would have been interesting to see if not in the aesthetic aspect of starfleet at least within the the deeper levels that you don't see like engineering or martial arts hand-to-hand combat diplomacy who knows Because we say this all the time, it doesn't make it any less true. The possibilities that could have been explored in future seasons of Enterprise were sky's the limit. they They were only limited by their own imagination, and unfortunately, we weren't able to tap into that. So in the final thoughts, Will and Tommy, if there was one thing that you really would have liked to have seen the writers or the creatives from Enterprise impart from the Tellarites to the audience and something that you never got a chance to see, what do you think that would have been? It's almost like I don't it's almost I don't know what I want because I we've still been just only given so little. I mean, what we have is is really great in the Babel arc and obviously you have them introduced to TOS, but even taking those into account there still isn't enough there for me to almost say like, what else would I like to have seen? Because there's almost like there's not enough for me to grab onto outside of kind of the the more direct components of how they were a founding member. Like we've never seen a female Tellerite. We've never seen, like you said before, Norm, the language that they speak. You know, they're always in relation to uh, a negotiation. They're always there as part of a larger context. Humans are there. Vulcans are there. Andorians are there. They're playing off these other races, right? But we've never seen anything 
yet in terms of them specifically, Tellarite specifically and only Tellarite specifically. You have that with the Andorians. You have that with Vulcans, obviously. Humans, no question, right? But with Tellarites, the only times we've seen them have been in relation to how they've interplayed with these other races. So to ask that question, I think for me, I'm going to have to say, you know, I really don't even know what I would like to have seen, but I think just more about their culture, more about their society, you know, maybe some more grounded stories about, you know, more personal or personality-driven stories as opposed to kind of larger intergalactic politics type questions. You know, something that's not, that, you know, doesn't require an ambassador to be there, right? Um, Would have been interesting to see in, uh, you know, the the future seasons that we never got. So I I agree um, that it's hard to pick something that you would like to see expanded upon. And I think the general sentiment that I have, which... I've felt in a lot of ways is that I just would like to have seen more. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, unfortunately, with Enterprise, that they were on the cusp of some of the most mature storytelling that Star Trek has ever had. And by mature, I don't mean in a TV MA way, but in just the the level of 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 their storytelling, the they approach things in a way that none of the other shows did. I've probably said this before, but you know, on Voyager in one episode, they'd practically get the ship blown half to hell. And then in the next episode, everything would be completely fine. I think that is in a lot of ways, a symptom of, of the constraints they may have had in their time, but enterprise was starting to move away from that, that kind of thing. They were moving into a much more, serialized and not necessarily in a way where every episode has to be this big tie-in to a larger narrative, but in that it was a very, um, it was, it was just symptomatic of the time that TV was coming into with enterprise where they were building much more of their show and of their universe than I think the other shows did. And I wish we could have gotten further seasons as the sentiment always goes, because I think especially in seasons three and four is when they really started to do that. And it's when we really started to see things with, with the Tellarites, for example, that were really interesting. And, um, I think as a whole with Star Trek, I would just, and this applies to Tellarites, I would just like to see more capitalization on the mythology of the universe versus uh, and this also includes humans, but versus just the the rinse, wash, wash, rinse, repeat Starfleet approach. And um, I think there could have been a lot of potential there for Tellerite stories, if all of that makes sense. No, and for me, I mean, I agree with that. I, w- I would have liked to have seen a lot more of the Tellerites involved. And I think in my one last thought... If Shran was going to be part of season five as a main cast member, as a part of the part of the staple of the of the crew, not of the NXO one, but you're gonna, you know, just a regular of the Enterprise crew, then I think it would have been safe to say that we probably would have seen a, maybe another Tellarite character that's would have had a couple of appearances a bit more regular on the show because that just seems kind of hand in hand with where we were going in this storyline where 
the Tellarites are starting to be a little bit more proactive in what was happening with Starfleet and seeing a little bit more of their influence diplomatically where that would rub Shran the wrong way. And that would make for some seriously fantastic storytelling because Shran, I think, in some ways, liked his friendship with Archer and liked his position, at least where he was headed in not just the Andorian side of the government, but Starfleet as well, because he likes being in the middle of it. And I don't think that he wanted to have anyone kind of wedge their way in between what he was doing and I think this is sheer fun he was having with Archer. And I think the Tellarites could have been a really interesting forced way of making Shran just always on edge. And having Shran always on edge is a fantastic thing because it brings out the best in Jeffrey Combs. But again, for me, I think that just the the the, the sheer fact that we didn't get enough of the Tellarite culture makes my own question a little bit difficult to answer, but that's what we like doing here. We like speculating as much as we can. And one last thing, and I say this in the most respectful and Tellarite way possible. I can't believe that this is all I got from my hosts in this show. I could have, I could have bled more from a stone. Well, I, I we would can come only back do so much with such an witty. inept leader. We're just take we're just taking our cues from we're just an incompetent, <laughs> incompetent leader. <laughs> See, I think we should have been more argumentative on the show. At least it would have been in the spirits of the Tellarites. Yeah, I just maybe. didn't have the energy, so I'll let <laughs> you guys argue. <laughs> all right, actually, all kidding aside, thanks guys so much for for bringing all of what we could possibly know about the Tellarites, I think, to a show because, again, there wasn't lot. really we a lot to... to we talked a little while, yeah. but, the, you know, there's not a lot to go on. So I think that says a lot that we're able to at least, you know, have this robust conversation about them. Yeah, but I think there's a lot that, again, could have been there. And I think there's a lot of passion for this race because they were so important. And as fans of anything, of this show or any other shows or any other fandoms that you like, you like digging into the history. You like digging into more of the lore because we as fans, that's just what we do. And that's what we love. And it was it was just so much fun talking about Tellarites. And I do think we probably could have been a little bit more argumentative. But hey, you know what? You can only do so much in a show. So thanks, guys, for for having such a great show. And This isn't the only thing that we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of the things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Set this movie at the end of the five-year mission. Skip ahead five years, you know, kind of like Dark Knight or whatever. And then Mm -hmm. say, okay, we've had all these adventures, blah, 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 blah. And now... We're at the end. We're about to go home, you know, and it's been, a, you know, a fun time was had by all. Earl Grey. Again, you know, because it's January, my ship was shot beyond the bounds of normal interstellar <laughs> travel <laughs> to the center of the galaxy, but we were back in time for tea. The orb. They're they're not even right. thinking about it at this point. Okay, how yeah, do we well, exactly. start the resistance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we do all this? Yeah. Because they have become comfortable with where they are and thinking yeah. that they're doing all they can. And yet right. we know as the audience that they're not. 
to the journey! I want you to say right now in front of our our friends, okay, and in front of me and the Lord Almighty, <laughs> what is your favorite season? Okay, this isn't the favorite season. I want you to tell me what your favorite <laughs> season is. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel and Darren, promise we won't ever be like this. The Ready Room. So what's the deal? You know, does Tom have a dad we don't know about? Apparently. Because who <laughs> was this was guy that he was remembering yeah, as his know, dad? Was that Nick Lacarno's dad? <laughs> that was Nick Lacarno's dad, yes. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. But I mean, here's yes. the question, John. If, if you're living Fight Club, then, you know, we have to ask, if you could fight anyone, who would you fight? William Shatner. All right. Literary Treks. The main storyline here is the battle for the Vulcan soul. They are one of the most logical races, and yet they have an intensely spiritual aspect to them. Axanar, the official podcast. You were there. Mm. How long did we wait for them to try and reach that? Oh man, it was it was it was at least as long as the Enterprise penetrating Viger's <laughs> outer shield to getting into the actual machine core. The six oh two club. So, as far as the realism question is concerned, um, when whether or not it's the right thing to do, it's the Marvel way to do it. I mean, I think that's the that's the defining difference between Marvel and DC. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows here on Trek FM and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. Now, if you're an Apple user, please hit the subscribe button. That helps us out tremendously and it makes it easier for other listeners or new fans to find the shows they search iTunes because that just gives us higher visibility. If you like what you hear on Warp 5 or on any of the other Trek FM network shows, please also consider giving us a rating. We like five stars, but be as honest as you can because that helps us increase our visibility for new listeners. And it also allows us to see what is working for you. In terms of being hosts, we love being able to tailor our content to our listeners and make sure that you're getting your best bang for your buck for your time because thank you for investing in an hour or an hour and a half of your time or more and supporting Trek FM because we love doing this for you. You're our fans, and this is what we like doing for our fans. Now, if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and, of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link there as well. Now, Will and Tommy, please let our listeners know, and all of our fans out there who are listening to the show, how they can get in contact with you on the interwebs, and across all signals on subspace. So you can find me on Twitter at at Will underscore Wynn, spelled N-G-U-Y-E-N. And of course, you can find me in the Babel Conference, which is uh, the namesake of uh, the Journey to Babel, our episode, um, which is our dedicated Facebook listeners group. So you can always find me there. And I'm also the content manager for the network. So if you have any ideas on what to discuss in the future or if you want to, you know, wrap on ideas and concepts we've talked about in the past, just feel free to drop me a line. And you can find me on the Star Trek Horizon Facebook page. And for those who don't know, it's a, it's an enterprise-based Star Trek fan film that I've been working on for about the past two and a half years. And uh, it's basically... Uh, it's it's my baby. And so the Facebook page is... is all me posting and, and responding. So if you'd like to get in touch, that's facebook.com slash S 
T Horizon, or you can just search it in the Facebook search bar and uh, search for Star Trek Horizon. Thanks, guys, so much. And for all of our listeners out there, Tommy and Will, they work really hard on the show. So please drop them a line and let them know how much you appreciate how hard they work and and all of the efforts that they bring to the show because I just couldn't do this without them. They do a terrific job in bringing me content and just breaking down all of the great points that we can bring to you here on the show. And that's a great way of showing your support. Another way that you can help us here on the network show a little bit more support is to help these shows come to you each week through Patreon. Please consider becoming a patron of the network on Patreon if you visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. You'll find ways to support this network. Now, this network is just independently run by all of the hardworking cast and crew here at Trek FM, your hosts, your producers, your editors. We are fan-funded, and those funds come from you. And the best way to get in touch with us to do so and support us is through Patreon. Through the funding, you can get milestone contribution levels based on your participation with incredibly great perks like early access to content, possibly getting this show before anyone else does. Access to exclusive content, things that you have never seen or heard on Trek FM, kind of like an after hours with the hosts, if you will. Producer credits, seats on our content development team, and that means helping possibly drive future content for shows that you support, and a whole lot more. So we really appreciate any support that you can give us and hope you'll join our team. Again, you'll find these details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Floyd Dorsey is actually one of the associate producers for Warp 5, as am I, and we both started our journey here to support the network and this particular show on patreon.com. I can't thank Floyd enough for all the support that he gives us here on patreon.com and on the network and, of course, on the Babel Conference Trek FM's dedicated Facebook listeners page. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with here at Trek FM on the network, you can always drop us a line on Trek FM forward slash content and look at the sidebar on the show page because you can drop us an audio message or a subspace message, if you will, on speakpipe.com slash Trek FM. You could also contact us through all the various social media ways on the internet, such as Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook, facebook.com slash Trek FM, and again on the Babel Conference. The Babel Conference is our listeners page on Facebook where we have the most amazing discussions that either continue what you've heard here on the network or have listeners just bring up re- incredibly pertinent and fact-filled and deep conversational ideas where you as listeners can feel free to just express how much love you have for Star Trek or just talk about all the ideas that you would like to talk about with your hosts on the network. And you can do that on the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, in your search field, or go to our website at Trek FM and click the discussion on the menu bar. Now, before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps bring Warp 5 and all of our shows to you each week. And that sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Now, a lot of us have very busy lives and we like getting to some of these audiobooks when we can. And the best way to do it is through Audible because they allow you to get access to all the books you've always wanted to read but you never thought you'd have time for. 
As a Track FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to test out how great this system is. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. That's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Warp 5 and Trek FM, the host network. Also, don't forget to check out Enterprise in Space. Now, this is a project of the nonprofit National Space Society that will design and launch an eight-foot orbiter and return the craft to Earth. The NSS Enterprise orbiter will carry more than 100 student-designed science experiments into space, and you can make that happen. So please, visit enterpriseinspace.org and find out more and how to get your seat on the mission. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can always find me here on the network or on the Babel Conference, our Facebook listeners page, as I mentioned before. You can also find me on Twitter at Norman Lau, that's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. And I am also a proud supporter of Alec Peters and the Axonar Project, and you can find me on the dedicated Axonar fan group page on Facebook. And lastly, I am a proud supporter of Trek FM through Patreon, as I have discussed before, and I am an associate producer of four shows here on the network, Warp 5, The Orb, The 602 Club, and Axonar, the official Axonar podcast. So thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here in the conference room for another episode of Warp 5. Warp 5.